Welcome to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with Opera Holland Park's Director of Opera, James Clutton. In conversation with creatives and collaborators, we explore the process of putting opera on stage and how the artists involved approach their craft. Hello, it's the 17th of July 2019. I'm sitting here with Sean Edwards, conductor and Olivia Fuchs, director of Eolanta, that we are about to stage an orchestra this afternoon here at Holland Park. So welcome both. Hello. Thank you. Yes. Hi. So let's go straight in. Uh, Olivia, um, Rupert Christensen in the Telegraph last week called Eolanta a haunting parable of inner darkness and light. Do you think that's a good starting point I to describe in this piece? Great description, really. Um, yes, because it is all about light and darkness and about sight and non-sight and what blindness means, metaphorically as well as physically. Um, and about enlightenment as well. So there's the whole all elements of light really. And so this is based on a fairy tale initially, you tell us a bit about mm -hmm. that? Yes, yeah, so it's a fa fairy tale by somebody, a Danish writer called Hertz, and um, it's about a, a princess who's been kept in a garden, a bit like a sleeping beauty, n in complete innocence, so she doesn't know that she's blind. She's blind but she's been kept, that's been kept a secret. And which it's is a mind-bending concept, isn't a it? A mind-bending concept which really is also about the oppression um, of that that sort of environment and that regime to, to manage to do that for 15, 16 years yep. all the time she's been growing up um, so it's about a lot of things and I think that it's also about you know, normal people being kept in darkness often yep. about the politics of today, I mean there's an element oh, of that yeah. even yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but certainly about um, not trusting her and also seeing it as a disability, something terrible that she's suffering from rather than something that she can yeah make the best of and um, and you have to be conscious of that when you're telling the story that it's that it's not well is it a disability to the person or you know it's, it's not just a straightforward story is it like that no it's not straightforward I mean she she doesn't know she's blinded but she does feel there's something being kept from her which is interesting yeah and it's also a story of sexual awakening and individuation in general so it's, yeah. it's that as well that she's been sort of kept in darkness and innocence yeah. about her yeah. whole state of being no I as think. I say it's just an incredible concept and uh, Sean uh, how does this fit into his canon of work uh, where does this come in the uh, in his work his life's work so it's really late and uh, was written oddly enough such a sort of interestingly psychological piece in tandem with the Nutcracker, which is one of the most gloriously sort of outward, <laughs> you know, ballet craziness, um, also of course fantasy, and and also with a great deal of tenderness. And this work has at its core an amazing scene between the young man who breaks into the garden and discovers this absolutely beautiful young girl, um, doesn't realise she's blind at first, um, and then when it finally becomes clear to him that she can't see um, he then embarks on explaining to her what she's missing and very interestingly actually she says no but you can get so many other things from not seeing you know I can smell things I can sense things I know where my horse is you know even if it's with other, lots of other horses in the field far away right. so she is very um, good at actually parrying and saying you know it's not just a complete disaster here and um, of course very quickly they are very attracted to each other and they fall in love so you get this incredibly tender and beautiful and very very um, 
highly charged scene as the sort mm. of middle of the piece, which is actually the piece that uh, Tchaikovsky started the opera with. Is it with the duet? Yeah. Mm. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, no, that's fantastic. And it's a big <clears throat> scene, 20 minutes in, yeah. in what is only an hour and a half piece. So um, it has tremendous sense of development and um, really has that sort of kernel of her then discovering that, you know, this thing she thought was missing, you know, is the fact that she doesn't have sight. And then he's explaining to her about the fantastic sense of the heavens and mm. space around you you know and all the rest of it so um the music is absolutely beautiful for them and although the opera has been sometimes you know even when it was first performed criticized for perhaps recycling quite a lot of tchaikovsky's early music i think um what he does with the story is still incredibly moving and towards the end when um finally you know all the threads of the story sort of get sorted out and worked out and she does get to marry the right man and you know they're ecstatically happy and she does get to see although that is very controversial at the end whether this is you know a good thing because of course yeah. she's terrified at the same time but musically I think he lifts the piece all the time into this wonderful dimension of the whole world being around you. We're going to come back to a bit more detail on music but the um one of the things I'm interested in, and one of the performances we've got audio described thing going on, and I'd love to hear what those people that attend mm-hmm. say about it, because you know that's uh, we're working with Vocalize, a charity who describe things, and I think I just thought we couldn't not do this. We couldn't do mm-hmm. this opera and not yeah, do it on this no, one. To see what see what happens. So it'd be great to get some uh, some feedback. Um, much more basic about directing, Olivia. Every every director's different. What's the first thing you do when you and I agree that you're going to? Uh, director piece or any piece anywhere what's the first thing you do with the the piece do you read it first music first what do you, how do you approach it all of it I do, I, I do lots of research in all directions I almost feel like I'm sort of like a spider going all, off in different directions <laughs> so I, I certainly listen to the music lots I read the story or the, whatever it's based on mm. I read around the subject matter I mean this one has so much to research um, yeah. and possibility and I read a lot of Helen Keller, you know, who was yeah. deaf and blind, yeah. and beautiful has beautiful descriptions about how she perceives the world. Um, also, uh, descriptions of people gaining sight having never seen before, which is very, very traumatic. I'm sure. And and it's in Tchaikovsky's music as well, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's never. Although there's all this beauty, it's always with a terrible sense of suffering and pain as well yeah. isn't it I mean that, that's what makes it so amazing I remember seeing a program on TV years ago about um, prisoners coming out of prison and and the, for them it was noise that suddenly mm. the different noises in the street was just incredible. overwhelming, overwhelming. Yeah. and even though they've been waiting to get free for years that when mm. suddenly in a, in, a, in, a, in a free place in the street suddenly everything became really difficult that they wasn't expecting something they'd been looking forward to um, but um, and Sean the same for you I mean do you just go straight I mean, well, let's go a different way. Did had you conducted this before? No, I haven't actually, and I must admit, I didn't really know the piece before. Um, I'm a tremendous fan of Tchaikovsky, and so I surprised myself that you know I hadn't explored this late work. Probably because it's a slight anomaly because it's a one actor, um, yeah. and you know people are not quite sure sometimes what to pair it with. I think this yeah. production being paired with Susanna's Secret is very very clever. Yeah, we're um, pleased with that. And uh, that's going to work brilliantly for an evening, I think, with everybody. But um, I think, uh, yeah, I 
of course, you know, yeah, want to see the material and, and listen to the music as soon as possible. So, yeah. You and I were yeah. talking the other night and we both had the same thing, that as soon as we, I listen to recording after recording when we're thinking about putting a piece on, but then as soon as we start working it, I never listen to recording yeah. again. You're the same, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely, yes. And for me, that's just because I just want to start following the work that you guys do. But for you, it's so you don't get influenced by... Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's only... Occasionally, it's, of course, you know, there's this phenomenal resource now, of course, of recordings from all over the world <laughs> available on YouTube and lots of productions and so on. Um, and it's wonderful if you need to check something. Um, you know, that there are... Um, Tchaikovsky's not always very prescriptive about Tempe, for example. And interestingly, in various recordings, there are a huge range of approaches mm, yeah. in terms of tempo and f sort of feel to the piece. Um, and so it's a useful resource to sometimes check something if you're not sure whether what you imagine you want to do is going to work um, and to, to, to get some sort of sense of context, perhaps. But, yeah, generally speaking, once I've got into the rehearsal room it's fantastic to build it up with the singers I and, think so because yeah. also with this it's relatively considering it's Tchaikovsky it's relatively rare yes mm. rare, it's certainly rarely performed and I think some of the problems that me and my colleagues have in different companies is when you're doing an absolute mainstream work that everyone comes with their own yeah. opinion of how it sounds tempe but also how it what how it, it looks yeah, and what it looks, looks like and, and, the story is. and sometimes when we do our real rarities that they're the ones that free us up the most because yeah. um, a couple of years ago people were saying oh about an updated piece we did but then no one was saying anything about the more de Trey Ray that we'd updated by a thousand yeah. years <laughs> actually a thousand years and no one no one said it so I yeah. think that that's a really refreshing thing yes that no immensely. one's got, yeah yeah for, for, for us all and that that gauge of what people people's expectations are um the cast, Olivia, obviously I would say this, but it's a great cast. It's an amazing cast, And yes. once again, you and I talked about this briefly the other day, that at the top of the cast we've got Natalia Romano and David Buckphillip. Yeah. And they're very evenly matched. Yeah. And for you as a director, as we'll go back to Sean and but director, that was important, really, that they were matched. Oh, it's so important. I mean, it's important that they're vocally and dramatically matched, but particularly vocally, because if one person were were lighter or weaker or whatever it would yeah. just show the whole thing up and mm, yeah. and as Sean said the duet is the, the, the core of the piece really yeah. so it's really based on that relationship and which is very complex as well and complicated and I think they've got a because they've known each other for quite a while and they've got a good trust and respect for each other yeah and they both know each other's talent and we were laughing the other day when they were rehearsing because it <laughs> I, I was saying it was like Annie get your gun with anything you can do I can do yeah, better yes, because yes, they were both yes. topping each other every yeah. time but I think that we um, but they are exceptional artists and I think that there's a little bit of a golden age of singers going on mm -hmm. in the UK yeah. at the moment yeah. mm -hmm. around their age you know their sort of graduation time it was, it was a fantastic time mm -hmm. absolutely I mean funnily enough David and Natalia have both had a conversation with us about exactly that you know right. that there are some amazing singers coming yeah. who are who were very good already when they were in their 20s and now are in their 30s and really blooming and going ahead you know with very secure techniques and it feels as if yeah the basis of singing in Britain at the moment is very strong so what happened about 10 years ago whatever to help create that environment that they were all nurtured well I, I guess think good yeah. singing teachers good singing well. teachers you know, first. And I think often yeah. people who've been working themselves quite a lot yep. you know people like even um, Yvonne Yvonne yep. Howard and, yep. you know yeah. who've got fantastic techniques themselves 
but are also really working singers, not just teachers. I think that's yeah. really, really important. Yeah. I mean, there are lots, lots of different people. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing I wanted to also say is that I think uh, Natalia and David, it's the first time they've actually worked together. Worked Although together. they love each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. They yeah. know each other, but they yes. haven't actually worked yes. together or not properly. Not on I think David, uh, David sang from this pit or something. Yeah, yeah, but it's, but not, it's not, not working same, together. No, but this is, uh, yeah. this is great. Well, I'm, I'm already trying to get them back together. <laughs> sure. That's, that's yes. a, a match made of in heaven, course. that one. Um, so following on from what we were saying, do you prefer reworking on pieces you've already worked on before because it opens up new doors, or, or do you prefer the first time? I think the first time is often the time you cherish the most because you're struggling with the work sometimes and fighting with it and trying to find your way through it and that very process to begin to really own it um, takes a long time and, and makes you question yourself as well um, and it's wonderful to come back to something actually having been through all that process um, but it's great to feel that you've created these uh, sort of tram lines if you like afresh mm -hmm. Yeah, and with and with the company that you're doing it with, yeah. so that it's a wonderful collaboration. Yeah, and I think that you know about both of you two. This is the second time you've worked together here. Have you worked together elsewhere? Um, yes, we did. Yeah, yeah, we did. BBC Prom. Yes, we, we right. did. Wilton. Fantastic. Yeah, I forgot about that the other yeah. day. But yeah. yeah, because I think you two create such a, a a special atmosphere in a room. Because I think that there's um, obviously the discipline and we do the stuff, but I think there's a freedom of expression, and also a ability to think and work through things which is wonderful for us I mean I know you bring that to a lot of your work Olivia anyway but I think does it when you when you've got a piece like this you really need to everyone to buy into it don't you? Mm. and trust what you're doing yeah and it needs to develop you know yes. musically and dramatically yeah. together and that's what's wonderful when it works yeah. that we're yeah. discovering and exploring together and then we can sort of Bat it back and forth Absolutely. a bit, can't we? Yeah. Well, I, think that's, yeah. I think artists, as in the singers, artists, they, they need to feel reassured more and more. I talk about this a lot about companies in that, mm. you know, I used to work in the West End many, many years ago and that was where I was working then was much more, was a much harder environment and much just do this. And I think that I learned a lot from that time about people do develop better technique and better performances often when they feel supported, yeah. relaxed, whatever. Yeah. But we're still having a goal to get to, not just unlimited time and mm. doing it. So I think it's, it's a good thing. Um, Olivia, Fidelio, 2003, mm -hmm. first time we worked together. Yeah. Seminal, seminal production for us, changed the company's history. Um, in fact, you've had a few of those for us, including the Macbeth. Yeah, really, really the, fantastic. The, I mean, the Macbeth a couple of years later. Fidelia, what do you remember about that production now, which unfortunately for both of us is now 16 years ago? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> scary. Well, scary. Well, yeah. What do you remember? I know we redid it in 2010, but what do you remember about when we first worked together that 2003? Uh, well, again, it's one of those amazing pieces, and when you really dig into it, it's about so many things that matter now, yeah. and that we... We both we took a risk, and I remember sort of asking you whether yeah. it was going to be okay, um, because it was just after Guantanamo Bay had happened. But it wasn't not, not it wasn't in the it wasn't in the mainstream big, consciousness. It wasn't in was the mainstream news. I mean, it was it had ha it, it was there, yeah. but it wasn't being sort of it hadn't been portrayed on stage. I hadn't seen it anyway. No. And so these these people being locked up, and you know, Jamie Vartan did an amazing set. So it was this great big wall where you didn't realise that actually it was inside. Oh, it was one of the great moments. You know, so the doors opened and revealed these orange-suited prisoners, didn't yeah. they? And it was 
and and again it was about the light wasn't it about them seeing the light for the first time yeah. it was an incredible moment mm. an incredible piece of production but an incredible moment and one that people still talk about here mm. because it, the nature of our stage being very shallow that people were saying quite openly well, where the prisoner's going to be and then mm -hmm. they, we opened those doors and, yeah. uh, and they were there but I think how I remember it and you know as Pontius Pilate said what is truth everyone's truth is different but as I remember it we were just ahead of the curve on, on yes on we definitely were yeah, yeah. And, and six months later everyone was doing yeah. productions and films around exactly. it but we, we we just got in at that mm. time where it was the first time anyone really had seen that portrait and it was taking a risk you know and it, it was, was taking a risk with your audience because I didn't really yeah. know them because I hadn't done a show here yeah and I guess at that point, people were still quite conservative in what they wanted from a yeah. summer opera yeah. <laughs> and a festival yes. opera. I think that's right. And we also had a wonderful cast. We had Alan Oak and yeah. we had um, Yvonne, Yvonne Howard. Yvonne, who's with us at this moment, singing yeah. in a... I know, and, uh, and they were just so <laughs> gorgeous together. I mean, I, I remember feeling, you know, because they're both not spring chickens, but it was such a believable love duet as well at the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely You wonderful. just felt like, oh, they really yeah. haven't seen each other for years and they've, they've found each no, other. No, no, it was a wonderful and piece. Was, and yeah. and the, why that came to my mind is as well, even though I'm not sure how musically similar it is, but the final chorus in this reminds me of the final chorus. In, yeah, there's in a bit Yes. Is yeah. that fair enough? Oh, sure. And this sense of arrival at something. And what's very lovely, I think, is that so the men's chorus only sing in the last scene. Yeah. Um, they come rushing in, supposedly, to save the young knight <laughs> from this strange place. Siren. Exactly, <laughs> yes, and, uh, and so on. And then they discover, of course, that actually uh, it belongs to the king, who is you know, the all-powerful local person. Um, and the story sort of does a massive 180 degrees shift. Um, but then the men join the women at the end, and you have this incredibly uplifting chorus which is celebrating in a way light and Life the whole well. idea of yes mm. being alive and being present and that's that's wonderful talk us through this because obviously i've heard it a lot in the last few weeks and you've heard it even more but there's this uh, there's this moment where the chorus is singing and it, it reverts to maybe the eight principles is it or yes was, and then he builds it back up again i mean it has an incredible effect absolutely so you it's as if the camera's looking at this huge wide scene and then it suddenly goes right down to the eight soloists who are singing um Tchaikovsky was always very much influenced by Russian church music and choral music right and so you suddenly get this unaccompanied choral moment of the eight singers singing on their own pianissimo absolutely beautiful and it's as if time stops still at that moment and everybody's just present experiencing this extraordinary event of this young woman gaining her sight and also falling in love and everybody sort of being happy and then the chorus repeat what the soloists have just done and then the orchestra come in and rev everybody up and you just get this big final oh, it's hooray. A, it's, it's glorious isn't yeah. it? I mean it really yeah. is. I mean I think that obviously everyone has bad days in any job but often through this period of time in the summer I'm sitting there and thinking I get paid to listen to, <laughs> listen to all these guys and you working. I mean I think it's um because when we're in the rehearsal room at Holland Park, we're normally in the rehearsal studio for four to five weeks. And we, um, we on this, our repetitor, Fran Hills, is a fantastic player, mm, yeah. a stunning player. We always say she's just incredible. But it really is interesting when you start working with the orchestra, seeing the colours that he was painting with. 
And what, what do you really notice when you start hearing the orchestra again? Because if, you, as we just said, you don't listen to the recordings for a while, so you've been I on do. the piano as yes. well. So yes. now, what, what does it do when you hear the orchestra? I think it just expands the dimensions. So suddenly, the singers, instead of feeling that they're sort of riding on top of the piano sound, um, they're actually in the orchestral sound, and there's a more supporting kind of sound yeah. coming from the basses, particularly. Um, and it's got this incredible range of colours and Tchaikovsky in this piece particularly absolutely adorns the winds so the overture is only winds and horn yep. and Rimsky-Korsakov wrote what a load of rubbish he doesn't even remember to <laughs> score for the string and then you know so you get this very dark interesting colour with, with the corps anglais actually being sort of front and centre of that then it goes into this beautiful domestic scene with string solo string octets and harps so you get very similar in a way to the beginning of the queen of spades for example um something very intimate and straightforward and then from there it all expands and it's just yeah a huge palette that he uses well we're looking forward to it so today the stage and orchestra i said we're about to do this afternoon um for those of you listening, that it's a, the first time that we've, we have a Zitz Probe, which is the orchestra and the singers, but the singers stand still or sitting down technically. And this is the first time that we get them all doing their moves in costume with lights. Exciting day for you, yeah, Olivia, so as well. Yeah, it's amazing when it all comes, starts to come together. Yeah, yeah. Because I think this, this is a great convention in opera in that um, the stage rehearsals are mainly controlled by the director. And, uh, first ones, first so, yeah. ones through, and then this day completely changes. The, yeah. the, the, it goes to the conductor, and there's a lovely because um, you two work, and everyone that works here works as a great team. But there's this handing on the baton. Okay, yeah, now I'm going to give you, and then we, <laughs> yeah, we can start, like sit that. back a little bit and, yeah. and yeah. so okay, what uh, look at re-looking at the work. Yes, and some, put in. some directors hate it, and I love it. I yeah. love sitting that yeah. moment of sitting back yeah. because you've been so involved, and then you can sit back and go, okay, so what are we seeing and you can yeah. see things in a different way often. I think you I can. Still, I still tinker around the sides. Of course. <laughs> yes, of course, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but I think that's yeah. a great moment because then the, there is a different thing when you're watching a piece when there's uh, an orchestra playing. It just mm. is. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, even yesterday when we were working on um, uh, La Laziani yesterday, yeah. every day is different at the moment. Yeah. Um, but there was a fight scene and, we, and I was talking to the director, Ollie, and he said, well, you can't hear that bit of the fight in that because the orchestra is louder and yesterday was the first time that we'd heard that that is true that's true so it's a <laughs> yeah. thing um we're coming to the end a bit but olivia symbolism in opera you and i have talked about it many times over yes. the years um i think that i genuinely believe as you know it's the style of my work that i believe in symbolism i believe in poetry in in theater and opera rather than documentary mm -hmm. style do you think that audiences, I know you mentioned the audience are more conservative a while back, but do you think audiences are um, battling against that more these days or do you think it's getting better for us as uh, producers of work? Um, I always think if, the, if it's poetic and it really takes people inside, I mean, what opera has to offer, which I always think is amazing, is that you can go into inner world, an inner world, mm. not only an outer world, mm. so it slows time down often, doesn't it? Yeah. And it also has has these amazing arias which are often about people going inwards yeah so like a shakespearean monologue i suppose yeah. in a way but even more because you have music and it's even more slowed down and to me that often allows you to 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 dream yourself you know to dream to imagine yeah. so it's really about the audience entering that space and allowing that to happen and when it 
when it's done well, then I think an audience will go with it. You yeah. know, when it's not sort of rammed down anybody's throat and not, um, you don't want to oppress an audience. I mean, I always think it's about we're sharing, we're offering mm. things, yeah. and an, it's an audience's choice whether they want to go with it or not. But if you do it in such a way that most people, it's like a dialogue, isn't it? That people mm. go, yes, I'll enter this dialogue, yeah. or I'll enter this relationship. Yeah. But if you're forced into entering something new you're not ready for, you don't want to do, you know, then, then it doesn't work. I, I think it because yeah. I think I'm referring base, back to a few years ago when you two worked together for, for us on the Katya Kabanova. And we first did that in 2009, maybe. I think it was 2009. Um, there's this wonderful moment. There's one of the, once again, one of the, the moments in our company history of, um, first of all, it was Tom Randall and Anne-Sophie stepping into the river mm. and in the sort of dreamlike dance state and um and everyone just accepted it completely whereas other times i think these days mainly because of the politics maybe today everything's just taken straightforward all the time mm. what are they yeah. doing walking into a river yeah, yeah. you know is what i sometimes <laughs> expect people to say but i think that it's it, it gives us a great chance to explore things i think opera mm. just to, exactly. to, to, to be a bit um i say more poetic with it and life is like that isn't it and i think often we we're much too sort of realistic and just seeing the problems or seeing yeah. the sort of daily reality that faces us but there's actually much more potential to life always yeah. and that's what art and for and particularly opera, can really offer, and music as well. And that's why yeah. people love listening to music, don't yeah. they? Whether it's opera or something else, yeah. because it does transport you, and it often transcends that daily reality. And it doesn't mean that you're escaping it necessarily. It's just it's another aspect of life, mm. which we don't always allow give ourselves time to tap into, no. is what I would say. So we're coming up to, as I said, we've got stage and orchestra today. We've got dress rehearsal on today's Wednesday. We've got dress rehearsal on Friday mm -hmm. and open night on Monday. What's your sort of schedules building up to that when you're not here? What do you can you turn off from it completely, or do you do you go home and then think, oh, what about that scene there? <laughs> what, 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 what happens? It's a mixture. I mean, I have to think about the notes that I've written and the things that I still need to do. But uh, yes, I, because we have sort of two, three days often free in between, I also have to do other things. Um, yeah, sort of I always think of that time being thought time these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Even if you don't actually do anything directly, you're thinking about what it, what it is. And uh, Sean, just finishing up here, because obviously we, well not obviously, but we work in repertory here, which we have different pieces on. So we were working with the orchestra Lalisiana yesterday. How easy is it for a conductor to get an orchestra, which in the main plays in both pieces, back onto the style of music that you're <laughs> doing? Well, it's very interesting you should say that because um, in a way, La Lesiana is this huge, isn't it, Verismo, yep. very exciting, big orchestra piece. And then paired, as we were saying earlier, with Iolanta is Susanna's Secret, which is also quite a big orchestra and mm -hmm. very um, dramatic. Tchaikovsky's orchestra is a little bit tiny bit smaller um, in some ways but the music has to be real chamber music yeah. and I was just thinking listening yesterday to a bit of La Lesiana that ah you know we're going to really need to work this afternoon to actually find that sort of beautiful piano that Tchaikovsky yeah. asked for um, and not but not a sort of piano where you kind of dry the sound it's that piano where it's very lyrical and very very legato so I think we'll definitely be working on that yeah and I think that this orchestra City of London Symphonia they're wonderful players and they are you know great at being able to switch from one to the other once they know what it is they've got to I achieve. think that's absolutely right and I think so right. um 
And that's what we'll be trying to do. Because also, I think the thing that helps here, I often talk about this, that some of the things that in a, in a more normal theatre would be negative points or positive points. Here. So we haven't got a pit, which makes things difficult yeah. in other ways. But it, the players do see the piece mm. and Absolutely. they start reacting to it Very much, much better, I think, here than yeah. when, when they're stuck in the pit. Oh, yeah. You know, not. Not oh, yes, able to see anything. They're part of the, they're part of the show, yeah. and you know, certain yeah. so audience members focus on one particular player, and, and they see what they're doing. And I think it's, it really is that sort of shared experience. And we mm. talked about at our place. It tends to be the the cast on stage, the orchestra, and the audience all sharing mm. the all, all sharing the same and space. The same, and and same who's you know. Yeah. And, uh, um, final one for you, Olivia. Double bill. I um, mean, my choice was. I'm very pleased with it now. Is to have a double bill with two different teams on, because mm -hmm. I like the idea of it feeling properly like a like two pieces. Two pieces. Yeah. Um, have you worked on a double bill before? And if so, did you do both of them? I don't know if I have worked on a double bill. Isn't that funny? Yeah. No, I definitely I haven't, haven't worked with another person doing another part of the evening. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting, you know, it was lovely to come and see what John had done and what yeah. they what they'd been up to. So for those of you and listening, we had a, we've got the same designer on both pieces in the evening. Uh, but very different designs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very different designs. And I I you know, we haven't opened yet, but I think it's a real fabulous money's worth evening because it is like going to the opera twice. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. They're two big pieces, two, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. Well, two listen, gems. thank you. We're going to go and, uh, um, I, well, I'm going to go and watch you work. <laughs> and, um, but let's have a great afternoon and thank you both for being here today and for your wonderful work with us this year. Oh, thank, thank you, James. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with James Clutton. For more information on Opera Holland Park, please visit www.operahollandpark.com.